Town. My name is Frankie and this is my co-host Alex and we're excited to talk to you about Pioneer in the midst of March of the Machines. But before we get started I actually have a fun little story. So my friend Ben contacted me over the weekend or not over the weekend sorry this is the weekend. He contacted me during the week on Friday and was like hey what's your favorite number out of these two numbers 290 and 365 or something and I was like why? And he was like, oh, I found a serialized Ingaroon eyes at the Minneapolis convention. And I was like, okay, 290, please. I'll pay you back. So I now own a uh, foil. Well, I will have in my possession a foil serialized 290 Ingaroon eyes. Thanks, Ben. And I'm excited for you because through both episodes that we've had so far, all you've done is talk about your great love for Ingarunais. That's all I know. Literally, I I know nothing other than Ingarunais. I was legitimately sad to not have an Ingarunais in my pool on Friday after the draft. Blue or bust, I guess. Yeah, I did both. Before we get into our episode and talking a little bit about prepping for RCQ season, I just wanted to first talk about uh, our Patreon. We, if you want to give back to the show, and you know what we're doing over here at Trigger on the Stack. Sign up for our Patreon. It gives you perks like having access to our Discord, getting tokens from uh, our favorite store, Boar's Hat Gaming, and coaching sessions with Alex and I for the format of your choice. All right, Alex, before we get into, you know, talking about Pioneer and RCQ prep, uh, I just want to touch base a little bit on draft and how things have been going They've personally been going really great for me. After our last episode, I just, for fun, ended up having two five-color piles that one seven-node and the other one I got six wins on. And it just made me laugh because exactly what we were talking about ended up being a great success for me. I was playing a Moti Celebrant of Bounty with uh, cascading into Evasion of Alara, and just like as soon as Invasion of Alara hit the board, game was over. And I had a few people just straight scoop as soon as that happened. And man, when that card flips out of this world. And so uh, I did that. Then the six win deck was similar, playing, you know, blue green base with Emoti going into, you know, I had the Kroxa, I had. Shoot, uh, I had Omnath, I had Nimizit, and just was having silly things happen when they hit the board. Multiple cyclers, removal in both, two drops. It was just a dream. So I've been having a really fun time in this set, and it's lived up to what we're hearing at the Pro Tour that it's a very um, cube like limited format. How have things been for you? Things have been great for me, uh, at least in paper. On Arena, I use Arena more to test ideas than I do to actually play. Sure. So I just end up losing a lot, and that's totally fine with me because I'm just, like, researching, basically. Yeah. Whereas when I'm playing in paper, I'm trying to dream crush as much as possible, which I've been doing successfully the past two weeks. Um, it does help when you open, like, an Elish Norn. Must be nice. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, I would... I would say that I've come around on some of the colors and other colors like white and red are definitely the two worst colors in this set. Oh, for sure. Uh, black and blue are definitely the two best and green's just kind of hovering there. It exists. Yeah. It it definitely exists as a color, but that's all I've got to say about it. Sure. 
I would add to the five color stuff that I talked about last week or not last two weeks ago. Excuse me. Uh, that blighted burgeoning is is actually a playable card and is pretty good at it. I would misread the card. I don't know how I misread it, to be honest, but I thought it did something else. Oh, and sure. it, it does exactly what the deck needs. Right. Uh, that being said, I've been playing a little bit less of the basic land cyclers because of it and been prioritizing duels more. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I feel that I'm going down a five color path, the duels just go up so highly in value. Plus, the incremental life gain feels like it matters, especially in decks, the very few decks that do want to try to get under. But also, grabbing land cyclers mainly for the colors that are not my main colors like i feel like if i'm playing blue green unless i have many double green pips or many double blue pips i don't need to be cycling for those cards unless the only time that i the the only caveat i guess i'd say with that is that when you are playing the five color deck i do feel like it's really important that you do hit your land drop at least for the first four turns you were hitting every land drop because otherwise you're just not doing anything at all. Yeah. The the five color decks don't do a whole lot in the first couple turns. Yeah. It's like have a removal spell or like a low to the ground blocker and then get into the late game. Yep. You want to make the late game come as quick as possible. Right. Awesome. Well, um, glad to hear that it's been going well for you in at least on our local scene, you know, crushing dreams and taking our boar's hat playmat for what will probably be the third season in a row. Yeah. That's what, that's what the hope is. Maybe someday I'll, I'll join you. Yeah. Maybe someday you'll show up. Yeah. Maybe if you get sick and you know, I don't get sick. I'm immune. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, getting into, um, pioneer. Let's talk a little bit about what, you know, we've had a few weeks of March of the Machines being in the format, and we're starting to see cards shake out into already existing decks. I haven't seen any new decks that have like really come to the forefront, except Rogues, which is still fringe. It's a 4% deck, and Fairy Mastermind is what's like thrown that card into contention to make Rogues a playable deck. But other than that, I don't see any new archetypes forming, but rather individual decks that were already good, just getting added pieces. Yeah, I've actually, I didn't like it the first time I saw it cast, but every time since then, I've really enjoyed Invasion of Ikoria in the green decks. Just having a seven mana way to tutor up a Cavalier that also provides you a body on the back if you need it, which Mono Green never does, but like... If for some bizarre reason they needed Zalortha, which is a which is a name that I pronounced correctly. Oh, trust me, you're my names expert. I just if you say it, doesn't matter if it's wrong, I'll probably believe it. That's very flattering. I don't agree with that in the slightest, but okay. Hey, it's what works for us. The one RCQ I judged in Evanston, uh, we had mono green and creativity take it down because evanston is a two slot sure. store uh the mono green lists are also playing invasion of ixalan now which is super sweet and just a good card sure and i've seen some pelucranos reborn as well that's the card's name right the three the triple green card yes pelucranos reborn um 
Bluegrass Reborn to me is like at least from Magic Online and seeing that format rather than the paper format. I think that Ikoria, like the invasions are fringe as in people are testing them. They seem okay, but Pelucranos Reborn is really the card that is like new stock list for every 5-0 deck that you see. And it makes a lot of sense to me because, right, not as good as Worm Coil Engine, but the ability to flip Pelucranos Reborn in a deck that's already making ridiculous amounts of mana seems very good to me like oh six six reach lifelink and right one of the worst matchups for mono green was it's like mono blue spirits and being able to play a four five reacher early is an additional benefit to the deck so um plus once it flips it's just a nightmare to get rid of um which is a theme for the rest of Mono Green's cards anyway. And just a little bit about creativity, right? We are talking about, uh, is it Volcanic Spite? Yes, that's yeah. the card's name. Volcanic Spite is just a strict upgrade from... Fire Prophecy. Yeah, Fire Prophecy. So, right, the ability to Fire Prophecy. Can you remind me, what are all the targets? Creature of Planeswalker, we add Battle with Volcanic Spite. Oh, I thought Volcanic Spite was any target. No, Volcanic Spite is not just a strictly better version of Lightning Strike. Sure. That would be insane if it was. Right. The games that you have, um, you know, Xenogod in hand and being able to put it back into your deck to creativity into is like the important thing. Your nightmare scenario is that's the one card you can just never cast. And at least if you discard Worm with... um, Shoot. Three and a red. Discard. Big score. Big score. Yeah. You can discard Worm with big score and get it back into your deck that way. But the only way to get your combo piece other than Worm back into the deck is with Volcanic Spike, which it hitting battles is not terrible, but um, it just strictly a better upgrade. You do have more options. Yeah. I'm not even sure the deck plays any battles, to be honest. No, it doesn't. Not at this time, anyway. So, um, other than that, I think that is all we have for new cards in the format. You know, you do see people playing around with different cards in Mono Red. We haven't seen anything new in Hidden Strings. I've seen very rarely Rakdos Midrange picking up new Shieldred as a one-of, but... Hmm. That seems interesting. Yeah, and I think that that card is really sweet for... I think that card's really sweet to play. But, ironically, no new cards from Mom added, but I've seen Mono Red, the Wizard's Lightning version, pick up a couple wins on MTGO. So, nothing new to report in that realm, but it's making small appearances. Mono Red will always do that. The The players who can play it the best will have a higher win percentage than your average player. I mean, that's pretty much the same for any deck, but especially with the aggressive decks, because people are like, oh, these decks are pretty brainless to pilot. They're actually very skill intensive. As someone who used to play aggro and now just refuses to because I don't like to play aggro because I don't like to be aggressive. 
Be- because I like my games to go to time and piss everybody off. Now that's not actually true. I just enjoy the longer games more because yeah. it feels more rewarding to win them. Right. Yeah. Because like I play Control and Pioneer, as I hinted at last week, we'll talk about it at some point. I don't know if it'll be this episode, but at some point we will talk about my love affair with Divide by Zero and Meat Hook Massacre. Yes. Um, but what you just mentioned is kind of a good transition into our next segment. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about RCQ prep, not just from like a picking your deck and a play point uh, standpoint, but also, you know, just like if you haven't done an RCQ before, which we are going to assume not, just talking about what that feels like. Because I went to my first um, large tournament uh, last March, so not the March that just passed, but a little over a year ago. And it was SCG Con Indianapolis. We had eight rounds of Pioneer, and I'd never played, you know, Magic outside of a four rounder at my LGS. And it takes a toll on you to play Magic for that long. And especially if you're going to play, I prefer decks that are either control or mid range. Because I want to win the top deck war. If I can survive early, me feeling like I've got better top decks for my opponent is the type of gameplay that I like. And so I was playing blue-white control, and most of my games were going to time. So I didn't have the ability to step out to go to the bathroom or go get food. Those are things to like think about and prepare for, because I luckily had a friend come and bring me some food to like keep me going in my games and bring me an energy drink. But from then on, I went, Oh, if I go to an RCQ and I'm, you know, obviously hoping and planning to make top eight and my games will go longer because of the types of decks that I want to play, I should be preparing with snacks and like be ready that I might not have the ability to get food. And each tournament is run a little differently. At least some of the RCQs I've done with Raul, um, who you know you've worked with in some of your events, he has been kind enough to give us a break before top eight. But sometimes we just roll right in. That's one thing that I wanted to like first talk about is like, hey, before we get to the magic piece, is just a take care of yourself, get good night's sleep before, and you know prepare that you will be playing. Right. If rounds are 50 minutes or more with going over time, you might have six hours of magic and that's before topping. Yeah. Another thing to know is even before the event starts, decklist people. I can't tell you how many people I've seen submit incorrect decklists at this point, and I've only done a handful of events this RCQ season, at least. Please triple check everything like you don't want to get a game loss, especially not in top eight for not writing down all your cards or something. Heck, if you're worried about foils in your deck, just ask the judge beforehand to take a look. Like, we're totally fine with that, as long as we're not super busy, which we usually aren't. Just, like, check that, because that can also be a game loss, top eight. And you don't want to start your top eight with a game loss. I've seen a handful of people start that way, and it just never ends well. To put it into context, like what I do when I am submitting my deck list is I lay out my deck, I separate all of my lands, put all right, 
all the four ofs, all the multiples next to each other. And I do the same for the rest of my deck. So all of my creatures, incident sorceries are all laid out by card. And then once I have written it on the paper, I take it and put it into a separate pile so I can know mentally that I've marked it off already. And that's been successful for me. I've been deck checked at every event or most of the events that I've done and not had any game losses so far. If you want to double check and try your best to not forget that that's at least a method that's worked for me. Sounds good. I don't have any recommendations for methods for that because I've never done it myself. I've only played in one limited RCQ and dropped after three rounds. So, Oh, I was there for that. Yeah, you were there. You remember. It was a rough day. Yeah, that was a real rough one. All right. Next is right, at least in the realm of Pioneer. Uh, I think that it's important for you to, one, play a deck that you are comfortable with. It is better for you to play something that you are really up to speed on, that you have lots of reps with, because you know the ins and outs of the interactions, right? You can't always control the decks that you're playing against. You can get some off-meta things, and I certainly do see at least in one round at every tournament someone who's playing something that's kind of off-meta. But if you know your interactions, it makes the games a lot easier for you. And so that's my first piece of advice is just play something that you know rather than being like, oh, this is a top deck. I'm just going to pick it up and play it. Because I personally write, went to an RCQ. This was this past season, not the current season that we're in. Played against an opponent who is playing Hidden Strings and... The combo for Hidden Strings is being able to emerge an ultimatum, grabbing Omniscience, and then grabbing two different tutors to then play Omniscience and get out of your sideboard, approach to the second sun, be able to cast it twice, right? Um, That's like how you win the game. And we are on game three. I'm playing blue-white control. They're playing Hidden Strings. And... With pieces of the puzzle, discards omniscience, doesn't grab it back with Balakit recovery. And through the rest of the game, my opponent took 20 minutes on their final turn. They ended up winning in turns with three cards left in their library, just barely won the game without messing up the combo. And I told my opponent, I was like, the reason I made you play that game out, despite the fact that you thought you were going to win, is because I've not seen someone win a game without omniscience, unless they were like on the Zayakama plan and they're attacking into me, which only happens when I'm playing creature decks. I've just not seen that happen. And so, right, some combo decks like Mono Green, Hidden Strings, even I would even argue Grease Fango Kaiba are not decks that you're just like, oh, I'm just going to pick this up and play it for the tournament. Unless maybe you've been playing Magic for 30 years and understand the meta very well. Yeah, anything to add with that, Alex, about picking, uh, like playing stuff that you're comfortable with? Yeah, I do actually have something to add to that. I didn't think I did, but I do, so here we are. And know your speed as a player, like generally, as well. If you know you're a slow player, don't play a control deck. You're going to lose every round, like... Because if you lose one game, that's that's it. You're done. You know how to play control. Play it fast. Like, 
basically what I'm saying is don't slow roll your opponents as well. That's super like, ugh. the judge calls I hate dealing with the most are the slow play ones. Sure. It's so hard to figure out, but it is so like, what's the term I'm looking for? Dominant happens often. No, 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 no. Not that it's so invasive to the tournament structure. Right. And to like the overall play experience of the players. Like if there's even one person who's like intentionally slow playing, like it's, it's very bad. That's actually a pretty easy way to get a DQ. If you get caught slow playing and it's upgraded to stalling, game loss, match loss, DQ. Sometimes it can go from game loss to DQ right away, depending on escalation. Sure. And I think that, right, I don't think many of our listeners will be intentionally slow playing. Please don't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the important thing about that, right, is you can't control your opponents. And so... There are games that you are not just right playing the game of magic and trying to win on board, but also playing against time. And so when I know that I'm playing across from someone that plays slower, I still am very diligent about how I'm sequencing things, but I'm thinking I have to do it at a little bit quicker of a pace than normal because... I don't want to lose to them playing slower. And more often than not, the people I'm playing against are truly thinking about the plays and not trying to slow roll me, but it still cuts into my playtime. And so I think that's the important thing is you can control your own play. You cannot control who's sitting across from you. More or less so, yeah. I know we kind of touched on this a bit, but right, choose a deck second after right you are first uh playing something that you're you're comfortable with that you know well uh next is just picking a deck that is within your style in the format right now there are a handful of decks towards the top and then fringe decks that are b tier that you'll easily see at tournaments combo like uh mono green nykthos which also has a bit of a deep beatdown plan but it is a deck that infinitely combos. Hidden Strings is an infinite combo. Grease Fang is enough cards together that ha- that feels like a combo deck to where you're mulganing aggressively to do the turn three thing. Creativity, right? As soon as Xenogod and you have, um, you know, World Spine Worm hit the board, you're hitting them in for 30 on that turn. It's one big explosive turn. Those are combo decks. You've got mid-range piles like Gruul and Rakdos mid-range, the Omnath to light deck, then aggro, mono-white, blue-white spirits, or, you know, the Bant version, and then control decks like Azorius control. Pick a deck that is good for you, your play style. For me, it's winning the top deck war. So I either want to be in control or want to be playing mid-range decks to where if the game goes long, I'm probably going to win. I like I like to bet on outplaying my opponent with mid-range and control cards versus right when you're in an aggro deck, sometimes it's like, well, I hope I top deck what I need to get enough damage through. And so, yeah, be picking something that is your play pattern, right? I, I do switch my decks up a little bit between 
the different RCQ seasons. Last summer it was Bant Humans with Coco. Then I played Rakdos Midrange. Then I played Azorius Control. Now I'm on the Omnath to Light. More often than not, less aggro, more midrange. But I, I think that it's important to try, at least when you get to a higher level of play, to be playing something that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. With that, right, in-tournament play, and we've talked about this, and timing, and being able to have enough time to eat, or go to the bathroom, or whatever. I know people that intentionally, because they just want to either win and keep moving, or get out, decide, I'm going to just play aggro, try and roll my opponents over, and if I can't, oh well. But when you do that style of like, I'm just going to play mono red, or I'm just going to play, you know, mono white humans, and try and get out of my games in 25 minutes, you know, you sometimes can, you might have a little bit easier of a day, a less mentally taxing day, if you can get out of your matches sooner. And so it is something to think about, like, hey, if you don't feel like you have stamina for eight hours of magic where you're playing the whole time, maybe it's better for you to pick an aggro deck that could maybe cut that in half. And maybe half is aggressive, but at minimum, if you're playing it and playing it well, you could for three or two of your rounds, get done a little bit earlier and have a little bit of a mental break. Yeah. I did that thing again where I nodded in agreement, but forgetting that this is a podcast and they have no way of knowing that I nodded. Only listeners. Who knows? Maybe someday we'll have cameras on our beautiful faces. I hope not. <laughs> awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in you know, the realm of RCQs, um, either from a play pattern standpoint, deck choice, or from the other side as a judge and what you see commonly. Um, I already mentioned the deck list problems. That's like my big thing. And then like the foils too. I would recommend just not having any foils in your deck. It's just so much easier. That's what I do all my decks that I would want to take to an RCQ are non-foil completely. Sure. Uh, and because I'm a monster, they're all bent the same exact way because I shuffle like an animal. Please be nice to your cards nicer than I am. They are your friends. No, I don't really have much else to add at this point. Great. Then I, what I will say is, um, lastly, if I had recommendations of like, these are decks that I think that you probably should play. Like if you have options available or you're looking for a deck suggestion in the control realm or the mid range realm, I think decks that are pretty straightforward and good. Rakdos mid range is currently in the mid range pile, the most played on MTGO for control. It's uh, Azorius control, grease fang, hidden strings, Mono green, creativity, all of those decks are very, very good. And if you, you know, can play them, will probably serve you well. In addition, when I like to play, um, when I'm prepping for RCQ season, I will go on Mana Traders where I can rent decks from, from them and play them on MCGO. So I have a little bit more practice than when 
I'm just going to our local LGS every week on Tuesday and Saturday. That's a way for me to get lots of reps in with a deck. You can go on there, rent decks, play tons of games of Magic. And I think that will serve you really well as you try and prepare for some of these larger tournaments. So you mentioned Mana Traders. If you're going to do that with MTGO, my only recommendation and my honest plea to you is to test on the client first before you put any money into it uh any like significant money into like a rental service because it's so like different from arena and it's so weird uh i use it mainly for vintage cube and even i get tripped up like by the client like practice on the client first before you like because otherwise you're just wasting your money yeah and when you sign up for mtgo you do get to like phantom draft i think it's afr is like oh good i'm glad they gave you the best set in the past 10 years yeah right what the heck but you will get to like practice with the client but it is mtgo is very similar to a program that you probably would have seen made in 2001 doom is more advanced than mtgo let me just put it that way without any updates whatsoever so it is something that you should keep in mind before um, you do that. And if you are going to rent a deck, I'd say just spend a couple leagues worth of trying that deck rather than being like, oh man, I went one in four. I guess I'll try Greasefang now and then go one in four and go, mm, well, maybe I'll try Omnath to Light or whatever the case may be. If you're going to prep for RCQ, at least get an understanding of how to play the deck first before just trying something and then giving up. And there's a lot of great other content creation on how to play Magic better. I mean, CFB Pro has breakdowns and sideboard guides for tons of different decks. You get that subscription through TCG Player now. You know, you have Reed Duke, Seth Manfield, you know, writing sideboard guides for different decks in Pioneer. You also can write, there's plenty of YouTube content, Twitch creators uh, that play tons of Pioneer where you can see. Twitter is even a good spot to get them. Some, I know Manguchi tweets out sometimes his deck lists and oh, sideboard guides. And Manguchi has sideboard guides and lists for Modern as well. Modern is a fun format. A fun format. I don't know why you laughed at that. I just like funny voices, okay? Listen, turn one Ragavan, every game is healthy. If you like Ragavan and Limited, you'll love Modern. Okay, just a side tangent. Do you even think that Ragavan is that good in Limited? No, it's like a B-level card. It's like it's like good, but it doesn't necessarily... Like, I'm fine abandoning it. Yeah. And I'm not splashing it because it's a one-drop. Yeah, because those memes on the internet get me really annoyed because it feels like they come from people that just don't even play the format. Oh, they definitely come from Modern players. Though, in fairness, Turn 1 Ragavan Unlimited is still pretty freaking good. Oh, definitely still good, but it's not like, oh my gosh, I can't play the game now. Like, I played against Turn 1 Ragavan on Arena and was playing, I think, Racto Sacrifice. So, like, Turn 2 played Nazumi Informant and then was like, cool, swing again. Just didn't feel that bad. Yeah, I mean, if you have the disposable bodies around, but what if you don't? Yeah. The format's also riddled with 
tons of removal. Yeah, but like, what if you're like not good at drafting and you just die to turn one Ragavan every time? Yeah, what if you just have bad deck construction? Yeah, like me every time on Arena. <laughs> just get better. Simple. All right. Um, to finish off uh, our episode today, I just wanted to talk a little bit. I know that we've only had three episodes for March of the Machine, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time on Aftermath and what we haven't had a ton of spoilers outside of the leaks. No, the Real, entire set spoiled. This, from spoilers, uh, I just wanted to see if there was a card that you are particularly excited about and could see some play. So tell us about uh, you know a card from Aftermath that you're excited about. Frank made me pick a card, for the record. Dear listeners, I I don't care about the set that much. I don't think anything is super interesting or, like, not obvious. But in the interest of making content, I had to pick a card. So the card I... Cries in content. Yeah, basically. The card I picked is Reckless Handling. Because I think that there's some world where an artifact deck exists in this format. And I think that this might be an interesting part to it. I don't even want to hazard a guess as to what that could look like. We could see the return of blue, red, and soul, maybe. I don't know, honestly, because you could go like find a Darksteel Citadel or something, turn two. Or maybe people have been playing that Rona deck in the form of Jeskai Ascendancy. Maybe that's a way to grab an Mark artifact. From that. Yeah. That's interesting as well. I don't know. It was just a thought I had. It's a cool card. I would like to see it somewhere. I'll leave that up to the people who are much better at brewing decks like that than I am. And that's, I do actually want to step back talking about brewing a little bit in regards to Pioneer. I don't think that RCQs are the place to try your brews. I disagree. I think that they are so out of left field sometimes. If you build a brew and you've tested it and it works well against the meta, even if you have a crappy matchup against, say, Mono Green like my deck does, I would, I'm so comfortable bringing my crappy blue-black control deck to uh, an RCQ, and I feel like I'd do fine. Probably won't top it, but I would sure as heck make any blue-white control player cry, because that's a great matchup. Well, and I don't disagree with that, but you specifically, for your brew, have had a ton, a ton of play on that deck. Most people do not. They just... I mean, especially my friends that listen to our podcast, they will brew a deck and then bring it to the LGS. Like just, I thought about this today. I put it together. Like when I played red, black vampires, throwing down Galta and Maverin with Soren and cruelty of Gix and Olivia, which also I'm so happy that a week after that happened, there was a five Oh deck list on NTGO. I was like, it's real. But anyway, I'm brewing red back a little bit red black vampires list. It's not going to be that at all, but I have been brewing it for a while. And with the the other card I'm actually interested in is the vampire lord from aftermath. But I felt like that one was too obvious to pick. Sure, I think that that card's super interesting. And we have we have madness from shadows over Innistrad. Right. We have the madness enablers from shadows over Innistrad block. Yep. There's something there. I don't think it's good, but there is something there. Sure. And there's and we do have a critical mass of one drops in vampires in black and red. We have 
the two one that gives madness to everything. We have the two one from Midnight Hunt that you can sack a vampire to draw to, uh, but only if you've dealt damage to your opponent. We have Knight of the Ebon Legion. We have, if we really want to dig to the bottom of the barrel, we have the one one with lifelink that you can pay two to sack a vampire to pump all your vampires. Or sack a creature to pump all your vampires, excuse me. There's a lot of vampires going on. And then we've got Stromkirk, whatever, from Eldritch Moon, that you can discard a card to pump your vampires. And then Olivia mobilized for ward that whenever a vampire enters, sorry, whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you can discard a card. If you do put a 1-1 counter on it and it becomes a vampire and gains haste. And you see where I'm going with this. Yes, lots of vampires. And you don't have to convince me on vampires. It's been a pet deck of mine forever. I love tribal decks. I try and play them as much as I can when they are viable. Um, this one is probably not. Right. Uh, but I also bring them to LGSs just when I want to take a break from RCQ prep. And so I am all on the vampire train. Taking breaks is important, people. Don't burn yourselves out. Yes. What I meant by don't try your brews is you are going to play against a lot of people that are playing very meta decks and they have tested their decks a lot i am an individual that plays my deck a lot before going to an rcq and so even if you bring your um lucky clover omnath pile yes you may steal a game off of someone but you i'm i mean i and i don't know your goals if you're looking to top eight then don't, I would say, don't bring a homebrew. But if you are looking to just have fun and surprise a couple people with your brew and take a couple of games off of them, then absolutely bring whatever you want. It's just, it matters to know ahead of time what you're trying to do in, in general with magic. And for me, being good at magic and getting better at magic like the competitive piece is really what i have fun with and i think that magic is hard and so i don't try and be a brewer because i think being a good pilot of a deck is already difficult enough but if for you building a deck and having it be competitive is like what is fun in the game for you, then absolutely do that. It's just dependent on what your goals are for magic. I, I will retract my statement and change it to that. I can I can agree to that statement. Excellent. To wrap up our episode, we will talk a bit about oh, we already said you said your favorite card. I'll say mine now. A card that I'm really excited about is the new Narset. So new Narset. Uh, Enlightened Exile, it's one, a blue, red, and white, legendary creature, human monk, three, four, creatures you control have prowess, when Narset Enlightened Exile attacks, exile target non-creature, non-land card with a mana value less than Narset's power from the graveyard and copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. We already have seen blue-red, like, young pyromancer, third-path iron class decks making their way into the format. The last energy, 10k, here in Chicago, 
second place was taken by Blue Red Prowess with, um, or it's really Blue Red Young Pyromancer. And they tried having Balmore fill the slot that this Narset did, where you could give all of your tokens plus one zero and trample. The ability to give all those tokens prowess is really exciting to me. And prowess has been a deck that has been on the fringe of being very playable for a long time now. And so I think that having this top end, it hits the board. If I have the ability to play another spell, you're being hit for lethal is getting close to pioneer's clock right pioneer for the most part outside of like rona combo when it works is a turn four or five format like games are being starting to be decided around four to six and at least not if the game is ending there's a tempo swing or someone is in control of the game and i think that this narset could it may be a little slow but it also may be just what Prowess needs to become a big player in Pioneer. I think that this card is too cute for Prowess and Pioneer. I think adding white to Prowess and Pioneer will would lead to this deck falling apart. Or I think Prowess, just looking at Modern, which is where I'm more familiar with Prowess, uh, they played the one-drops that are good. And that's about it. Sure. And then just a bunch of spells. Now, I know that that's not reasonable for Pioneer because we don't have Lightning Bolt, Mutagenic Growth, basically any good spells. We don't get any of those. Uh, I, okay, I stand corrected. We do get the Delt spells. We have, we, have the, we have the fun spells. We don't get the good spells. Right. And I'm just not sure that reaching into another color for a four-drop creature is what this deck would want. Yeah, I'm not certain it's what it wants either but being able to splash white with duels i don't think it's like too difficult if you're already playing blue red yeah i'm not i don't believe it's too difficult either but i do believe that it will make the deck worse hmm and i can see that too it's just something that i'm like hoping for with prowess being on the fringe for a while now it's it is a card that interests me and especially creatures that have prowess, being able to get double prowess, I also think is very interesting, uh, as we've seen our first double prowess card in March of the Machines. Um, now, what I do think is too cute is if you put in, shoot, what is the white prowess-making... Monastery Mentor? Yes. Adding Monastery Mentor into a deck like this, I also think, I think that would be too cute. But I actually disagree on that one. I think that's very interesting. No. Monastery Mentor is a very be. powerful card. I think it is a powerful card. But I think Young Pyromancer has been on the fringe for a long time. I don't know if Monastery Mentor... What if we just try Red White Burn with it? Well, that I, burn. that I think is very, very interesting because... Take out Monastery Mentor. Someone talked to me about Boros Burn, and Boros, you still get Boros Charm mm -hmm. is the four damage, yeah. or gives double strike. Right. Or makes all your permanents indestructible. Right. The secret hidden mode on Boros Charm. Right. That card, I think, was playable and is on the fringe of being playable, and I think that that card with a flipped Kenra Spellspear 
would be absolutely disgusting because you get the yes. double prowess trample plus the four damage, or you're giving it double strike while it's double prowess, and that already, just those two cards, I think is real. I also don't think the format has time to flip Kenra Spellspear, but... Yeah, maybe not, but you can do it on turn three and still have a swinging 3-3 on turn three, which... In your aggro deck. Yeah. You're spending three mana to turn your 2-2 into 3-3. Yeah. Seems exactly what you want to be doing. Yeah, seems not great, but sometimes, you know, if your cards aren't lining up great, it's at least something to do, rather than being like, hard cast light up the stage. I think I'd rather hard cast light up the stage. <laughs> but then you can't even play the land. Anyway, beyond the point. Yeah, I think that there is potential for prowess in in Pioneer, Maybe even with the cards that we have now, which haven't been explored yet. One more thing I will say about the card I brought up that I just remembered. We do have Encroaching Mycosynth in the format, which turns all of your non-land permanent cards in your hand, in play, and in your deck into artifacts. So it's possible that there's some sort of interesting combo with non-artifact cards in that card, where you just get the Encroaching Mycosynth out. And suddenly everything's an artifact and nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think it, it's too slow for Pioneer, but it is something that I think you'd love doing. Infinite combo in Rakdos Sacrifice with new Obnixilis and all will be one. You ping one yes, damage. Yes, that is too slow. You're correct. It, it, you ping one damage and infinitely kill them. Yes, that is too slow for Pioneer. And that is too cute for me, even. What is the cost of Obnixilis? Four mana. See? Four mana. Mm. All will be one is five. Yeah, you've got yourself a cute curve. Yeah. Well, you already have, like, cat combo on board already. So if you get to five, you could just boop, unless they're removing Obnixilis immediately. Which is difficult, because there's no, like... A braid isn't running around. They have to be playing black or be playing Azorius Control. Feels okay to me. Doesn't feel. I see a braid running horrible. around still. It's out of the board mostly, but it's there. Yeah, out of the board. There's some Rakdos lists that play one in the main, but they've already got Fatal Push, so who cares? Yeah, agree. Fatal Push, Power Word Kill. Power Word Kill doesn't hit him. He's a demon. Even better. More for my point. Anyway. Remember, kids. Power word kill can't kill all creatures. All things. Yeah, you you feel really sad into a, a, a green-white angel's opponent. Yes. But then you feel really happy because you're playing a good deck and they're playing green-white angels. Yeah. Plus, resplendent angels is too much money to invest in a tribal deck. Yes. That is really hard to keep up with with all the life gain that actually happens in that deck on Arena. With all of that in mind... You know, if you do have questions about the format, Pioneer, please be able to hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on uh, our Patreon if you've joined our Discord, or uh, maybe even we'll drop our email sometime to have you ask us questions. With that being said, uh, Alex, do you have anything else before I close this out? Nope. Big shout out to uh, Nancy Steroids for creating our intro and outro music. Listen to us on Spotify, Amazon Music, or 
forget if we had another streaming service. But anyway, keep coming to our podcast. We appreciate you listening and uh, have a good one. Thanks for listening to Trigger on the Stack. Bye.